All right. Good morning, Father and Church. We're glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, today is going to be a little different, but today is going to be all about love as RG continues to journey us through the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's read this chapter, this love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now, know I know in part, but then I will know fully, and I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we pray this morning that you will be a reminder for us. As Robert leads us through this chapter, God, we'll be reminded and we'll be compelled to love others the way that you love us. Help us to be patient. Help us to be kind. Help us not to keep a record of wrongdoings. God, help us to love the way that you love. Help us to be a church that radiates this type of love to the world, both in our backyard and all across the world. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris said it today is going to be all about love. The songs we sing and the message that we bring, it's about love today, and that's a good thing. Now, I want to give you uh, some words, lyrics to songs, and then I want you to tell me Tell me who sang the song, okay? Y'all ready? You can, you can answer out loud and uh, impress your friends, confound your enemies with your knowledge today. What's love got to do with it? I want to know what love is. Foreigner, I can't help falling in love with you. I've, well, we've lost that loving feeling can't buy me love the Beatles love me do where is the love black eyed peas I just called to say I love you Stevie Wonder DJ's got us fallen in love 
Usher. I'm looking for Usher featuring Pitbull. How about, how about this uh, Radar Love? You ever heard of Radar Love and uh, Stubborn Love? Uh, higher lo- Stubborn Love, Lumineers. Higher Love, Steve Winwood. Um, Supreme, Supreme sang a song about love. What, what is it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, don't you quit that. Quit that. That's a, that's a young teenager. She doesn't know any better. But Look, love is, love is a big deal, and it's, it's in our songs. It's the thing most that poets and preachers and philosophers and singers and songwriters put in front of us more than anything else, and it's just something that's, that's in us. Paul would write to Timothy in another letter, 1 Timothy, and he'd say the goal of our instruction is what? It is love. And you heard Chris read this beautiful poetry. And by the way, how are we going to approach 1 Corinthians 13? If you were preaching through 1 Corinthians and you weren't in a hurry and you got to this love chapter of chapter 13, what, what would you do? Would it just be a one sermon? How difficult is that? Same thing we're going to say in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. That's 58 verses in it. But is, that, is that just one sermon? So here's what we're going to do. Prayerfully, we're taking this approach. Today, we're just going to get our feet wet talking about love a little bit, and then I want to point you to this fall. We're, we're going to hit chapter 14 next week, and 15 and 16, and we'll hit that part about act like men, and be strong, and be, be alert. We'll hit that at the end, but then we're going to circle back when college students are back in town, and people are in the, in the fall rhythm, and we're going to do a, a sermon series on this chapter, so we'll look at these things, uh, these virtues, uh, one by one in a six-week stretch of time. So that's how we're going to approach uh, 1 Corinthians 13. So you may have heard of Usher featuring Pitbull and the Beatles and the Supremes and um, these other artists that we talked about. Some of you uh, knew all of them, but uh, no one, I bet, has heard or seen this name before. This is Hal Naviskovich. And he wrote an article for the New York Times Magazine several years ago that I, I was reading this, this past week. And he talked about, he boasted of his Facebook friends, that he had 1,700 Facebook friends. How many do you have? I bet some of you have a, a lot more. This was like, the article was written in 2014, but he boasted of having 1,700 Facebook friends. But he said that he doesn't like a lot of face-to-face connections, or he's getting less of that. And he cited uh, three reasons. He has a two-year-old at home. He had what he calls, has what he calls um, workaholic irritability, and he just prefers alone time. But he thought, I need to get out more. And I, what I want to do is have a party and celebrate. Let's, let's get these Facebook friends together. So he extended the invitation for a, for a meetup at a local watering hole. So he sent the, an invitation to 1,700 of his Facebook friends, Hal did, and invited them to a, a night together to drink and mix and mingle and such. And he said that his response is he gave them three options, attending, maybe attending, and not able to attend. The responses that he got back, 15 people said that they would be attending, 60 people said that they might be able to attend, and then he didn't hear from a lot of others, or they said no, and so he took those, the math, he conjectured a little bit, and he said, I bet you 20 to 50 people will be showing up. So he writes in the New York Times Magazine that he, he took a shower, and he shaved, and he threw on some of his best cologne, and he wore some new pants and his favorite shirt, and he headed to the water hole, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And then finally, one woman shows up, and technically, he found out that she wasn't even a friend of his on Facebook. She was a friend of a friend. But she shows up, and they awkwardly chatted for a few minutes, and she left. And then he waited, how waited, until midnight. And then he wrote these seven words that stuck with me as I read this last week from this New York Times Magazine article. He said, 1,700 friends, and I was drinking alone. 
All of us have an ache in us. We long for love. We crave a community. We desire to be connected in deeper ways. There's a professor at MIT and a prolific author named Sherry Trunkle. She writes about how she gives this analogy or this perspective on us in this age of social media. And she says, we're, a lot of us are like people that are, we're just sipping a little bit of water and we think we're drinking a lot, but we're all, or many of us are dehydrated. And she gives this phrase I want to put before you before we jump further into 1 Corinthians 13. She says, we, many of us live with the illusions of companionship without the demands of a relationship. And can I tell some of you, we're missing it. And she's right, and she pinpoints something that Paul brings up in this chapter that we're going to look at in just a moment. The illusions of companionship without the demands of a relationship. But look at me, it's the demands of a relationship that bring you meaning in the relationships. That give you a perspective, God's perspective, on what love really is. So stand back up, if you will, and we're going to sing a song. This morning, uh, this may be a new song to some, and for many it might be actually an old song. It's written a number of years ago. We would just invite you to sing it with us uh, as we consider the love of God. Old things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. And things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. Cause you caused your son to Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. The hopeless have found their hope. Your friend. 
getting our feet wet in chapter 13 and revisiting in it over a six-week sermon series this fall, early this fall, I want to give you a few truths from this passage that Chris read aloud aloud, that you looked at on the screen. If you have an open Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, you can look at it in front of you. But the first thing I want to say is this principle here, that love is not an add-on. It's a must-have. It's not an add-on. It's a must-have. He says, you know, you can do all these things, but if you don't have love, because everything without love is nothing. And it's not an addendum. It's not something, you know, you pursue your success and you pursue your education and your vocation and your agenda. Oh, by the way, I need some relational capital. I need some love and companionship in my life. Let me add it on. He's writing and he's saying it's absolutely, utterly foundational, not supplemental to our lives. It's not an add-on. It's a must-have. And notice what he does. You could say that maybe there's some hyperbole uh, that he's using here. When you use exaggeration or hyperbole, it's, it's uh, when I use it you as well probably, you're trying to get someone's attention. And it's a, a, a good rhetorical device to employ at times. But Paul is writing and he uses this very flowery language. And essentially, my paraphrase of that uh, is this. You can have the eloquence of an orator. You can have the knowledge of of a genius. You can have the generosity of a philanthropist. You can have, um, you know, the faith of a miracle worker. You can have the dedication and devotion of a martyr, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Remember, Paul followed in the way of Jesus. Paul was uh, involved in persecuting Christians, and he saw a light on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything for him. And he followed this man, Jesus. And Jesus once said to his disciples, to another group of guys, he said, by this, help me with this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, what? If you have what? The correct political convictions. Jesus said, no, no, Jesus said, you will, by this will all men know you're my disciples if you know your Bible backwards and forwards. No, no, G- Jesus said, you will know, they will know, all men will know you're my disciples if you stand firm in the truth. Jesus actually said, I can see it on your faces that you know I'm purposely being wrong here. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. Listen to me. We can get a lot wrong 
But this is one thing we can't get wrong. Love has got to be not, a, not an add-on, but it's, it's a must-have in our lives. And we can pursue all these things. Remember what Jesus would say in Matthew 6, you know, You're pursuing all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. That's the heartbeat of love. God first. Love at the top. It is supreme. And let other things fall into place. And so from this, getting our feet wet in chapter 13, looking at it in depth later uh, in the weeks ahead, the first point today I give you is that love is not an add-on. It's a must-have. The second thing is that love is not temperamental. It's willful. Y'all know anybody that's temperamental, up and down, moody, emotional, whatnot? You, you live with a person like that or have a little one like that in your life. Love is not temperamental. It's willful. It's not to be lived by fits and fancies of the moment, uh, the mood or what you feel like, but it's this willful, volitional act. It's a choice to act. And Paul gives 15 virtues in this chapter. Love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't boast. Love is not rude or self-seeking. Uh, love doesn't um, keep a record of wrongs. It's uh, delights. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Love is not irritable. And he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I just quoted 15 virtues that he gives us in this. Now, some of y'all get on to me sometimes for having too many points in a sermon. Paul gives 15, but here's what I want you to know today, or I want to point you to this perspective, is that of these 15 virtues that he gives us, the church at Corinth and you and I here today at Fondren Church, these 15 virtues have little to do with how you feel in the moment, but everything to do with your choice to act. Listen, I, I, I ask the question, but I don't want to poke fun. I don't want to mock because some of us struggle badly with regulating our mood or you're raising a strong-willed child or you're not sure uh, if you can count on somebody that you love or you know today that people around you can't count on you because you're so up and down. And listen, let, this, let it be gracious, but let it be strong for you today. Love, is a, it's not temperamental. It's a, it's a will and it's a choice of how to act. W.A. Criswell is an old famous Baptist preacher. Uh, he's gone now, but he told a story one time when he had been married for 50 years. They celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And he said, there were times I just loved her so much I wanted to eat her up. And there were days that I wish I had. And love can be that way for us, can't it? That love is so up and down. The feelings that you have fluctuate for each other. And some young couples come see us and they're freaking out about the, uh, their moods and how it doesn't seem to be uh, going well. And they're disappointed. And there's such a normal, natural, let me speak into you. There's such a normal and natural part of life. And I want to encourage you to get help and seek the Lord and get in community. Sign up for a small group. Share your struggles with, with other people live in community and let God work in you and stay on the road. Endure those desolate stretches, climb the long hills, uh, feelings fade, romance goes into hiding, uh, but that's not love. That is not love. That'll get you just that'll get you started on the road, but it won't get you far down the road. Love is not temperamental, it's willful. The third thing I want to say as we get our feet wet in 1 Corinthians 13 is this, that love is not mortal, it's eternal. In verse 8, I won't put it up there, but I'll quote from it again. Chris talks Chris read this, but hey, you know, prophecies are going to come to an end. Speaking in tongues one day will cease. Knowledge, that's coming to an end, but love is going to remain. 
Billy Graham says that we need to think about what's temporal and what's eternal, what's mortal and what's eternal. Not everything will exist. These fleshly bodies that are wearing out uh, will be renewed. We'll have redemption in our bodies. Our souls are eternal. We'll, uh, at the great resurrection, we'll be given new bodies. Isn't that great? But listen, you're, some of our vocations uh, will, are not eternal. Billy Graham says that uh, we, in heaven, we won't have police officers. We won't have doctors. Uh, we won't have preachers. Ouch. Uh, I got to f- find something to do up there, I guess. But what, what really is going to last? Knowledge and tongues and uh, prophecy and these things, they will, they will cease. But he says in verse 13, this is, you don't even have to be a Christian to know this verse, faith, hope, and love. These three will remain. Faith, hope, and love. Let me ask you your relationship with each. Let me ask you, are you living in faith? When's the last time you trusted God? Are you, are you bringing him into your finances? Have you brought God into your sexuality? Is he in your relationship? Are you trusting him with what's next? Are you, are you, is he calling you to take a step of faith? What about hope? How discouraged are you? We, we hope in things and hope in things constantly, don't, don't we? I hope I get this job. I hope I get this girl. I hope we get that house. I hope I get this girl and we get that, she gets that job and we get this house. Like we hope and hope and hope. We're putting our hope and every hope in, hope in, hope in, uh, it, it, it ultimately disappoints us. That's why Paul would write about suffering in Romans 5 and say, he would say suffering produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint. I wonder why he wrote that because we're constantly disappointed by what we put our hope in. But hope will not disappoint because, not because you're good at wishful thinking or not because your circumstances will all be favorable because that promise ain't really in here. But he says the hope won't disappoint because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And so love is not an add-on. It's, must, it's a must-have. Uh, love is not temperamental. It's willful. And love is not mortal. It's eternal at last. So amidst these three compelling characteristics of love, let me tell you about two things that the church at Corinth was getting wrong that could be true of us today. The first is this is that it's possible to do super religious things with selfish intentions. It's possible to do super religious things with selfish intentions. I wonder why we're surprised when someone has a moral crash. When a Christian leader, we're like, oh, they were were what? Uh, On the outside, they were doing these things. On the outside, he could speak really well. The church was big. This was happening. Oh, they could do this. This person was so this. Look, it is possible. We learned that from the church. It's possible to do super religious things with selfish intentions. Listen, you know what was happening at Corinth? They were doing things. and They had these gifts. Remember what he says? You've been given uh, different gifts, but the same spirit. You've been given different ministries, but the same Lord. Different activities, but the same God. Isn't that wonderful? Like we can be different, but we do need to focus on the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. And listen... They, they, were, uh, they got twisted with their gifts. They put too much importance on the gifts. We've sort of already talked about this, but there were public gifts, and they were doing things not to serve others, but to, to do things for sh- to show off. And that's, look, that's in your heart, and that's in my heart. It's bound up in us, and we need to be really careful because it is possible. In fact, it's awfully frequent that we do super religious things with selfish inten- intentions. Uh, let me show you a couple here. Uh, this is... Um, Symbola and Dionysius and these are two of the gods of their day and 
scholars believe, some do, that when Paul was writing about, you know, if you do these great things and you don't have love, you're a clanging symbol, you're a noisy gong. These God, this goddess and this God were associated with, as one writer put it, uh, wild music, revelous parties, um, and serious drinking. And so this was ecstatic. There was passion and there was promiscuity and prostitution and uh, just free living in Corinth, a very liberal society, we would say. And Paul is writing, when he talks about the clanging cymbal and the noisy gong, uh, good chance he had the revelry and the parties and these, this goddess and this God in mind that, you know, your worship is looking like that. And so be very careful. You're showing off. And Corinth, look, they, and let me give you the second reality for them uh, here in this phrase. You can be gifted on the outside, but full of immaturity on the inside. Corinth looked good. Their worship services looked good. You had tongues and interpretation of tongues. You had prophecy. You had ecstatic worship. You had revelry, spiritual revelry. You had gifted orators. You had people bring in the word. And publicly on the outside, it was very impressive. But he's like, you're doing things to build your, to your own name and you're not blessing other people. You're doing things for show and not to serve others. Doctors can probably tell you that just because you're skinny doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. We know about the dangers of obesity and not managing our weight and the, the health um, um, detriment that that can bring. But I've talked to doctors who've said, hey, you know, you can have a skinny person and they look fit. And we can even miss it sometimes because they look good on the outside. But on the inside, things, even for a skinny person, can be a clogged up inside. And that was the church at Corinth. They, they looked good on the outside, but inside, not so much. And Paul is writing and saying to them, here's what love is, and you've missed it. We had these different gifts, but the same spirit, these different ministries, but the same God, these different activities, but the same Lord. And let's blend together. And he, the call of the gifts is use your gift, but it only matters if you're using it in love. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever, have you ever done anything to show off for other people? When, like when you're a kid, it's fun. Look, mom, look, y'all, and you know, hold my beer. That's the fraternity thing, right? Look at me and watch me show off. But Jesus promised in Matthew 6 in the great Sermon on the Mount, if you're doing it for that reason, you have your reward. In other words, the praise of men is your reward. Has anybody lived long enough to know how hollow that is? And love is greater than that. And God's love and the security that he can give you in his love is far greater than that. And so this word before us today, let's be careful about our insides and to make sure that we're loving. Remember what he said, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so your gifts, if they're not practiced in love, and it's like this clanging cymbal, this noisy gong, the revelry and the wine and the craziness of Corinth, Paul is cautioning them. He's cautioning them to make sure that in the midst of their ecstatic public worship, that there's substance and credibility at the service and, 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 and in, the, in their hearts, not just on the service, that it's real, that it's, that it's genuine, and that they would live it out in community where it's a symphony together. It's like um, you think of the different gifts and the different ministries and the di different activities with the same Lord, the same God, and the same Spirit. 
He wants, God desires for our gifts to be used to blend together. And that's what a symphony does. It takes this sound. You're making this sound and you're making this sound and you're making this sound. But those sounds blend together. I remember when Fondren Church came over to this building and shared the space with the original owners, Woodland Hills. We didn't own the building. We rented the building. And for three or four Decembers um, during those years, they would have an orchestra here. They would build out the stage all the way to like the first pew in, in second week of December. The place was just instruments all around and each person knew, each woman, each man, each boy, each girl knew the part they were playing, but their, their instrument what needed to blend in with the other instruments. And I think what's happening in Corinth is there's somebody over in the corner drawing attention to themselves. There's somebody probably with a cowbell going, hey, we need more cowbell. And they're just clinging the cowbell and, and, and they're, they're drawing attention to themselves. They're using their gift to say, look at me, let's exalt me. And there's something different for the church for us to say, you play the instrument you're given. You play the instrument you're given. But let's make sure we're blending together in, for one symphony, for one purpose that we're pursuing. I want to invite you to stand with us, sing this song together this morning. God's love looks different than the world. We're going to exalt that love today. Creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry oh then from north to south and east to west we'd hear christ be magnified and were the whole earth echoing his imminence oh his name Be my- 
Remember, uh, I think a lot of you know this, but they didn't have the numbers in their Bible. Like we added the chapters and the verses later to help us with systemizing things and tracking uh, with teaching and such. But in chapter 12 and verse 27, before it was seamless in the original writing, but before the love chapter of chapter 13, he says in chapter 12, verse 27, that we're one body, many members. I had you for the last couple of weeks say it out loud. You remember? One body, many parts. Uh, everybody matters. Everybody's needed. You want to do it one more time with me? Let's do it. One body, many parts. Everybody matters. Everybody's needed. One body, many parts. Everybody matters. Everybody's needed. So we're one body with different parts, okay? But let me ask you this. When do you think about a part of your body? You never, ever think about a part of your body unless it's dot, 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 unless it's hurting. You think about a body part when it's hurting. Man, I, I didn't walk in thinking about my knee today, but if my knee's hurting, I'm thinking about it all the time. When I'm waking up, when I'm getting out of bed, when I'm standing, when I'm doing 500-pound squats at the Fondren Fitness, you know, I'm thinking about my knee when it's hurting. And the same can be true of you. If you're always, and me, if you're always thinking about yourself, what does that indicate about you? Can I push you on you a little bit today with some truth? It indicates in all likelihood that you're hurting, that you have hurt. And so it makes love difficult. Look, I understand. I posted this on my Instagram last night. Nobody's against love. Everybody is for love. Everybody wants to get love. But we have a hard time grasping love. We have a hard time having love and holding on to love. But nobody's against it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that makes it so hard. It's when we're hurting. And it's the fact that you're hurting. And there are times when you're really hard to love or you're finding it hard to love somebody else because of hurt. Because one part of the body is really hurting. And let me add some clarity to the question I just asked. Hey, if you're always thinking about yourself, what does that mean? It means your soul is hurting. It means something deep down inside of you is not healthy and not right. And so I employ the words of one of my favorite writers. Oh, by the way, our soul needs it and our sinfulness makes it so difficult. Our soul needs love, but it's our sinfulness that makes it so difficult. Mike Foster put it this way. Let's heal so we can stop accidentally hurting people we want to love because we keep projecting our wounds onto them. Can I say today, I'm looking at you, let's heal. The part of you, Mark Twain said, we're all like the moon. We all have a dark side. That dark side, the part of you that you don't want, that you want to conceal, not reveal, the part of you that uh, you want to contain and that you want to cover up, that's the part appropriately and progressively you need to bring into the light and let God heal you. I am so relieved at the church today, I'm primarily talking about in America, but we're being purged and we're being purified and there's scandals and leaders are falling and people are being called out. And there's a rise and fall of all these different mega leaders and ministries and all and let men, let God do his work. But what I love is there's a movement afoot and I hope it infects us in here of healthy spirituality of being emotionally healthy and being integrated, being a people of integrity where we're no longer using elaborate schemes to hide ourselves. So I want to say to you today, if you're having difficulty loving as the church in Corinth did, 
It's going to be more than an ecstatic worship service that you need. As, as hard as we try and plan and prepare, and we bring people with gifts to the table on Sunday mornings, and we want the coffee to be good and the parking to be ample, and we want you to be greeted and loved, and we want this hour to be very significant in your life, and we hope that it is. But far more than that, you need the lover of your soul to touch you down deep. And you see the secret. And by the way, I love this. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, he says the, that the great commandment, y'all know about the great commandment, the great commission is go and make disciples of all nations, teaching, baptizing. That's the great commandment. But the, the, great, uh, the great commission, I'm sorry, but the great commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A teacher of the law, an expert of the law, can't come, come into Jesus for some uh, trickeration, came to him and tried to, remember the, they had 613 laws. 600 and they took the 10 and added to the 10 be careful religious people will do that they'll make it so much policy and procedure and protocol you can, you're just you're stifled matthew 25 woe to you pharisees you're putting a burden on people they cannot bear i pray we don't do that as a church because that's not what following jesus is about putting a weight on you that you can't bear in fact galatians 6 says let us bear the weight of others uh, let's bear one another's burdens let's, let's not make it heavy for our brothers and sisters in christ let's lift those burdens. But Luther says that the great commandment that Jesus gives is uh, one that he brings into question because he doesn't, and I thought, oh gosh, he's, he's blasphemy, but he's actually delving deeper into the meaning behind what Jesus is saying. It's like, you know, do you, if you love somebody, do you really need to command them to love? And if, if it's really love, does it need to be commanded? And I love his thought because I was thinking about it. Like for me personally, I don't need to be commanded to eat a steak, take a nap, or kiss my wife because I I, those are desires of mine. I long to do that. I want to do that. Nobody needs to command me to do that, but you flip that. And can someone command you to do something against your heart, against your will? Is it really love? I hate, hate, hate with a robust, just, I mean, I just hate mayonnaise and tomato sandwiches. My parents tried it on me. Someone the other night uh, invited us to have, I think they knew me. But I, anything mayonnaise, anybody with me, I just hate it. And so you could, you, could, you, know, you could be really strong. You could have the strength of 10 men or go get 10 men. And you might be able to force me to eat a mayonnaise and tomato sandwich. Maybe. I doubt it. You'll probably need a straitjacket, a taser, something like that. But you might force me to be able to. But look, but you can't make me love it. You can't make me love it. And both of those polar opposites are true. And so the secret of chapter 13, I've been telling you we're going to look at it in depth weeks from now, but maybe the secret of this great love chapter in the best-selling book of all time is something that we maybe are missing. And I think the secret is this. Read it again. And do you think, because I'm one of those men, I am guilty of reading 1 Corinthians 13. How many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding? Anybody? A lot of you did. Um, you're just shy in church. But a lot of us did, or you've been to a wedding recently where it happened. And it, it's, it, it can be good for weddings, but this love is for friends, it's for neighbors, it's for family, it's for your spouse. It, but it's really, really, really for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It really is for that. But do you ever read this like we did earlier? And man, Mixon is reading and you're like, I mean, it's just a weight that, that you, I mean, who is that? And so I think the secret of 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Love is Jesus. Jesus is patient. 
And Jesus is kind. And Jesus doesn't boast. And Jesus is not rude or self-seeking. And Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Can I get an amen, church? Jesus doesn't keep a record. That, that's good news. I mean, if we, had, if we didn't have so many Presbyterians, we would shout on that one. But Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Jesus doesn't delight in evil, but he rejoices in the truth. And praise God, Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and he endured all, all things. He endured the cross for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 1. He worked his way to the cross. The grind and the punishment and the spectacle of it all, the violent, torturous death that he died, he endured it all. You see, maybe the secret of 1 Corinthians 13 is that Jesus is love. And so as we stand and as we make our way to home, if you would stand from, with me, we're going to take up our offering and do a couple of cool things before we go. The old apostle John before he was exiled to the island of Patmos, he wrote in John, 1 John 4, it's all about love. And he said these words, I bet a lot of you've heard it. We love him because we won't go to hell. We, we love him because he told us to love him. We love him because we memorize the long list. We love him because he first loved us. And so church, when I tell you and me, I'm looking in the mirror on this one, when I tell you let's heal, I wanna point you to the healer. He's the great physician. And here's the thing, let me ask you, why do you boast? I'm really talking to some men in the room, but why do you, I'm talking to everybody, why do you boast? Because you want people to tell you that you're great. Because deep down, you don't think you're great. And so you want love for you, relationships. It's not really love. You're controlling people. So they'll tell you you're great. Because there's something missing in you. Why do you envy? You envy. You want something you don't have. Because deep down, you're dissatisfied with your current state. And I want to say it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His love for you and for me that brings us healing that brings us security, that says, I can give you all that you need. And your goodness, like it's not writing. Sometimes you, some of you will call me and go, Pastor, I'm not sure, I'm doubting my salvation. And you'll tell me about your circumstances and sometimes your sin and your tempestuous journey spiritually. And I always wanna take it back to Jesus because it's not what you've done. It's not you clinging to him, it's what he did for you. And can I just say, like, I've still got pockets of brokenness in my life and you know, ask my wife, she lives with me. And I can boast and I can be rude and I can keep a record of wrongs. I can be, a, you've heard the joke, the preacher joke, when you're fighting in marriage, uh, uh, you can be hysterical and some people get historical. You know, you can keep a record of wrongs and you can bring it up and bring it up. And man, I can sin, we can sin just like you can sin. And we fall short of the love that God has. But Jesus' love brings us wholeness. And don't we have some stories of that? Could anybody testify today like he's healing me of this? And listen, there's no place in the Christian community, no place in the Bible for concealment, containment, or covering. But there is a place for confession and for us to be free, to say, Jesus frees me up because I don't have to live. I don't have to be a slave to your opinion of me, what you think of me. I don't have to try. My attempts at love don't have to be this short-sighted. I'm going to control all the people around me and try to make them do what I want them to do so I can feel love. 
And God gives these, these classes to show us how selfish we are. Marriage is a class, a master class, to show you how selfish you are. And then uh, to me, he brings along kids to show you how really, really selfish you are. You know, you know when kids, I'm talking to some of you with young parents about to have a baby, look at me real quick. When your kids are young, like they don't, their love for you, I mean, it's not a, it's not a equal relationship and they're completely dependent on you and they don't, they don't really see you as a person with needs. They want you to meet their needs. And then hang in there. We said it on a panel a couple of weeks ago, the first zero to 18 parenting is about a correction, discipline and whatnot. It's an unequal relationship. And then it becomes about connection. And I've got three and 19, 21 and 24 and I'm in that connection. And it's, 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 a, it's a great joy. But when my kids were little, they never said, hey dad, how was your day? You need anything? I wanna encourage you, dad. And can I tell you what's happening now? The other night I went to the store and got toaster strudels because Haley was home, that's our favorite snack. And I went and got toaster strudels. You, you know what I'm talking about? You put those things in and you freeze them. They got the ice packet. Oh my goodness, you get the, cut them with the scissors, cut them right at the top, spread it over evenly. And, and, and I, I sat down and had one and she had already had hers earlier when she walked through the room and she saw me just sitting there eating my toaster strudels and Haley sat down with me and connected with me and we talked and we talked and we talked and there was this love but it wasn't like that when she was a little kid and Paul says I put away childish things and I become a man. I think like a man and act like a man. In chapter 16, we'll preach it in a few weeks. Act like a man, be strong. We're going to talk about what that means, what that means and what it doesn't mean. But listen, there's something about love that matures us, that connects us into deeper relationships. And so what's hard in you now, what's hard around you, what's hard in your home, what you may be lacking if you're all alone, listen, let Jesus meet you and let him heal you give up your secrets and come to him because it's your woundedness it's your hurt that's not allowing you to love and be loved your greatest need let me pray for us I ask the ushers to come forward father thanks for this morning and thanks for your word and thank you that we can sing about love and we can preach about love And Lord, uh, it stirs us because you've made us this way. And so maybe some of us today soar with joy about what you've given us. And maybe there's deep pain because of loss and ache and woundedness. And I would bet there's several listeners today who don't know where to go to get help. And they've heard the challenge, let's heal. Because we're called to love. And the woundedness that we project on other people is blocking the intimacy that you can give us. So Lord, I pray for less game playing at Fondry Church and more genuine, deep, abiding, sincere love from a sincere conscience and a genuine faith and a pure conscience. Bless these tithes and offerings. In Jesus we pray.